are listening to the Mark Biltz Podcast, a Biltz Voice Enterprises production. Welcome to the Mark Biltz Podcast. Today, we have the pleasure of having Rabbi Tuli Wise, the founder of a nonprofit organization in Israel known as Israel 365. An Orthodox rabbi, uh, Rabbi Tuli, is the editor also of the Israel Bible. It was the first Bible dedicated to highlighting the relationship between the land and the people of Israel. He's also the publisher of Israel 365 News that reports all the latest news, the current events of what's happening in the Holy Land from a biblical perspective. That's what makes it so fantastic. Uh, Through his very popular website, his uh, email newsletters, his social media platforms that reach hundreds of thousands of readers every day, Rabbi Tuli Wise is among the largest and the most influential thought leaders when it comes to Christian Zionism. He's also the author of several books. We're so honored to have him be with us on this podcast. Welcome, Tuli. Thank you, Pastor Mark. Thank you so much. It's great to be with you as always. And you're so enthusiastic. I really appreciate just being in your presence and being on your show. Well, I'm just so glad that I believe you are probably one of the first uh, people in Israel as an Orthodox Jewish rabbi to really reach out to the uh, evangelical Christians. I know Sandra Bars has, and there's several others, but uh, we really appreciate you, and I, I want you to know that I greatly uh, respect the what you have to say. And w- let me ask you this. most Just like most Jews think there's only Catholics, and uh, most Christians think the Jews are of one denomination, uh, how many different denominations are there in Judaism, and do only some of them believe we're living in Messianic times, or do all of them? That's a great question. A lot of people are confused, and um, there's three main denominations, and then there's a lot of smaller denominations. There's Orthodox, which observe all of the laws of the Torah to the best of our ability, quite literally. There's Conservative, and then there's Reform. Reform really don't believe in a lot of the theology that um, and uh, sort of more that Judaism is like a culture and conservative, I guess, is somewhere in between. That's a simplification. But <laughs> for now, um, there's also ultra orthodox and um, and then within ultra orthodox, there's a lot of segments. Now, in orthodox, there is a segment called religious Zionist. That's what I associate myself with, religious Zionist. And those are pretty much the ones who, I wouldn't say the only ones who believe, but very much do believe that the ingathering of the Jewish people back to the land of Israel is a an important part of the fulfillment of biblical prophecy that is leading towards Mashiach and leading towards the end of days and they what we call in Hebrew Geula redemption. Yes. Yeah, I definitely consider myself a religious Zionist. Uh, I, I love the land of Israel and I think it's so amazing that Abraham was born in 1948 from Adam and here Israel becomes a nation in 1948. Talk about prophecy being uh, fulfilled. I think that's incredible. Yeah, 
Yeah, absolutely. Everything, everything about our in gathering is talk is talking about prophecy being fulfilled. I mean, you see it all the time. I had an amazing call today for the first time. I met this woman who is the CEO of a uh, jewelry company that they make gemstone jewelry out of out of precious stones that were unearthed in Israel because her father got sort of this blessing and this prophetic word that there will be precious stones buried off of the coast of Haifa. And I never even heard of this story until today. And I mean, everywhere you go, there's more signs and evidence. Yeah, it talks about um, Zebulun, I believe, and Issachar, and one will find treasures in the sand. but that's uh, so tell me this what do you think are we living in messianic times current events tell us some of the current events that makes you believe that we're living in these times i know here you have these red heifers there now i mean that i believe is a huge messianic sign but tell me what are some of the messianic signs that you see involved with current events and happenings well, you know, before you look at the current events, you have to understand, well, what does the biblical prophecy have to say? So the biblical prophecy is actually quite specific, and it talks about a few different stages, but two main stages. There's sort of this physical return, the physical redemption, followed by a spiritual redemption. I believe, and then the physical redemption is described as the, the fact that the Jews are going to be, were going to be, were scattered. And then they would be brought back from the four corners of the world back to the land of Israel. And then it says that the land itself will regenerate and will once again go from being a barren wasteland into a garden of Eden. And then it shifts and transfers into more of a spiritual description where the whole world will recognize God and the knowledge of God will spread like the waters of the earth. And that's the spiritual stage. And I believe we are kind of at the end of the physical stage and shifting towards that spiritual stage. And one thing we don't really know is how long everything is going to take. And um, it says in Psalms that, that every, every day is like a thousand years. And so, you know, it could be that, God's timing is either, we really don't know what God's timing is. Um, and I, everyone who does get involved with predicting the times, uh, at least in Jewish history, has been wrong. So <laughs> I, don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to go down that road. But I do think that the fact that, you know, myself, my I came on Aliyah 11 years ago, then another, then a sister came, then another sister came, my wife's sister came, our whole neighborhood here where we live, there's a lot of people from dozens of countries all over the world. And so, you know, you, those are the big signs. And as far as like kind of on a more micro level, yeah, you absolutely, the, you know, every once in a while, They'll discover red heifers for the first time in 2000 years. And then some crazy Christian guy will decide that he wants to bring them all to Israel. I mean, it's unbelievable. And then, you know, then today I'm talking to this woman who's the CEO of a company that was unheard of even a few years ago. Nobody ever thought that there would be gems um, and sapphires from Israel. So you see it all the time. I even think that, you know, this latest hysteria in the news about the judicial reform that um, is threatening the government of uh, Benjamin Netanyahu 
that that of course is part of the process and the process and again in our uh, opinion is not like a linear process it is a process that is full of ups and downs and uh and so and so it, if you are paying attention then literally everywhere you look you see these signs and miracles oh definitely you know you can go back to theodore herzl back in 1897 uh you can look at a world war one you know uh, the Balfour Declaration, and uh, you, you look at World War II and what happened, everything is a process, uh, and it takes time. Now, uh, I don't want to go down that same uh, rabbit hole where I'm claiming I know the day or the hour, because I sure don't. But one thing that hit me, Thule, the other day, uh, very familiar with the day with the Lord is as a thousand years. Now, of course, a lot of people ask me, well, this is the year 5783. Do we have to wait another, you know, 217 years till Mashiach comes? But you know what hit me today? Yes. I, how do I explain it? Uh, here's the thing. The seventh day, right, begins at sunset of the sixth day and right now it would be about 7 p.m on friday that, where we're at right now which means we literally could enter the seventh day we wouldn't hit the seven thousandth year but it doesn't really say seven thousand years it says seven days and so when i thought about this i thought wow it's about 7 p.m. right now on that time clock when you break it down. It's like 42 hours uh, or 42 years equals one hour. But anyway, we are at sunset. It depends if we're in the summer or in the winter. Right. Exactly. Exactly. But I just think it's fascinating that we're about 7 p.m. So it would be sunset in the winter, and that's what it would be in the summer. But I just think that's fascinating. We are in the seventh day. Well, you know, to the 6,000 years that in, in Jewish tradition, uh, we do believe that there's a guarantee that God promises that he will deliver the Mashiach by the year 6,000. But that's a worst case scenario. And the best case scenario, and we say every day, we believe with perfect faith, we say that you know, the Maimonides has 13 principles of faith that a Jew must believe. And number 13 is we say, I believe with perfect faith in the coming of Mashiach. And even if he delays, I will wait for him and believe that every day he may arrive. So we we have this uh, constant prayer that he could come today. Um, so it's somewhere between today and uh, <laughs> 200, 217 years. Yeah, definitely. What are some of the key things or prophecies that you see that haven't happened yet that you're looking for? Hmm, that's a good question. So I believe that in my understanding, and and so that's a big disclaimer, you know, nobody really knows. I certainly don't know. Um, but my research and my studies led me to anticipate that Israel needs to have Mashiach. We need, and we well, we believe in Mashiach, and I know that you cover this in your book, that it's not a miraculous Mashiach. It is a very natural, rational, political and military leader who obviously will also be very charismatic and direct people to worshiping Hashem. And, and then um, 
and uh, and he will build a temple. And so I think that you know, there's some debate of whether or not first we build the temple, then Mashiach comes, or first Mashiach comes in, then we build the temple, then he builds the temple. It's kind of a debate. And again, nobody really knows. So I think that we need to be prepared for both of those. Right now, unfortunately, um, you know, when I started getting involved with Jewish Christian relations, and it's it's been about 10, 15 years. So my approach was that we really have so much in common. Let's focus on what we share in common and not focus on what we disagree on. And so there, what do we disagree on? We disagree when it comes to the identity of the Mashiach. And so I always felt like, well, let's focus on the, on the Tanakh, the Hebrew scriptures that we have in common. We don't necessarily need to talk about the New Testament. We don't necessarily need to talk about the Mashiach. But I think that, um, that there is sort of a, there is an important, there, there, we do need to study the Mashiach in order to be aware. We need to be ready for Mashiach. And if we're not aware of what we Jews believe, then we can miss it. And similarly with a, with a temple, I believe that we need to start thinking carefully and preparing ourselves for the building of the temple. Because it's not just going to fall out of the sky, what some Jews actually believe it might, but I don't believe that. I believe that we have to take an active role. So we need to start thinking practically, you know, we do want to do this. On the other hand, there's a mosque up there. Nobody who's responsible is advocating for destroying the mosque and starting a World War III. That is not a Jewish approach. And uh, we believe, I believe that it's going to be a natural political development, that the Mashiach is going to be this great political military leader who is going to be able to deal with the political challenges on the ground. You know, I really find it fascinating that as you were talking about here, Israel, barren like Mark Twain talked about in his book, nobody's there. And then all of a sudden, look at it now, blossoming and blooming uh, and everything, you're a high-tech industry. And I would hope uh, most of the Jewish people will give the credit to Hashem <laughs> rather than to their own innovations, even though he's blessed them with that. Uh, but I really see that we're living in the days that we need to be looking for the Mashiach. And I believe the government you have now <laughs> is... Uh, one of the most conservative governments I've seen in a long time. Uh, we'll have to see what happens. A lot of things, as you know, are happening in Iran. They're happening in Lebanon, uh, Jordan. And so we'll have to see as uh, events unfold. Yeah, yeah. And we have to pray. We have to pray that, uh, that things unfold according to his plan, which they always do, but that it should be peaceful. Like we're, you know, again, this is something that... Um, there's, you know, obviously the war of Gog and Magog or Gog and Magog um, is something that appears in our, uh, in, in both of our Bible. Um, but again, the Jewish sources are somewhat, I think, open-ended, meaning that you could interpret it in, there's not just one way of interpreting these events. And I, I would like to believe that the Holocaust was the war of Gog and Magog. And that, um, and that there's not necessarily going to be another great war. We we suffered enough, and uh, and so 
our prayer is not only that the Mashiach comes and we build the temple, but it's all done peace, peaceably and peacefully. And that's another thing that I think needs to happen when it comes to what are we still waiting for? I think that there does need to be a major awakening in the hearts of uh, the Jewish people and an awakening in the hearts of the Jewish people to reconcile with our Christian brothers and eventually also our Muslim brothers. And that's necessary in order for the whole world to worship Hashem. There's 8 billion people in the world and um, there's something like 15 million Jews. So, you know, we're definitely less than a percent. Um, something like over 2 billion Christians. So maybe two and a half billion Christians. So we're talking about a good 25% of the world are Christian. There's about a billion and a half Muslims. So between the Christians and the Jews and the Muslims, really just the Christians and the Muslims, there's 4 billion believers in God, maybe not the same God, but 50% of the world, I think, again, from a rational perspective, those are the ones who are going to get the message the quickest. And those are the ones who we have an obligation to work together and to put aside our differences and to start reconciling and having these dialogues like we're having here. Um, these conversations were unheard of between Jews and Christians, um, you know, 10, 20 years ago, for sure, 30 years ago. So they're very new and they're really important to start uh, this conversation where we can expand the things that we can talk about and we can talk about Hashem, we can talk about God and, you know, how do Jews look at God and how do Christians look at God? And is it the same? Is it different? And, you know, um, these are to me really important conversations that are getting us ready and getting the world ready. I totally agree. I'm just so excited. I've all, for 20 some years, I've been looking for Orthodox rabbis that we could just have respectful conversations. Uh, it's like, I want a study partner. I want someone that I can really dig in and look at the Bible. And I love different perspectives because uh, how do I know what I believe is correct? You know, everyone believes what they believe is correct, but then you bump shoulders with someone uh, and I like to more or less round the edges of my thinking. Uh, too many of us have corners and we're cutting each other up. Uh, for me, I, I just love the dialogue that we can have. We can totally respect each other. I mean, you look at the thousands of denominations in Christianity. Uh, you know, many of them don't want anything to do with the other person. Uh, but one of the things that I like to teach, it, it talks about uh, how uh, Jacob could barely see. Okay, when, you know, he grabbed Ephraim and Manasseh uh, during that time of blessing. Well, uh, in the New Testament, it talks about how Christians can barely see. They only know in part, and we see through a glass darkly. And I've always believed that I, part of the problem is I'm only looking out of one lens. I need to see the other lens. And when I look out of the Jewish lens, I believe in one sense the Bible becomes like 3D, and I can see a little bit clearer when I take the two and uh, look at the, you know, the world through those glasses. Uh, because, you know, we all know in part, I don't think any of us know it all, but I definitely want to look at the other person's perspective to help clarify what I see. And I like what we you, you had mentioned to me once before that these conversations are not about uh, me winning the argument or you winning the argument. Wow. 
Exactly. And just like in my book, Decoding the Antichrist in the End Times, uh, I try to do it from a uh, unbiased point of view as much as possible. I just put my thoughts out there and people can look at it and think whatever they want to think. But I, I'm the kind of guy that likes to stir the pot. Yeah, it's just really important, especially, you know, Jewish Christian relations, which are still just really growing and uh, from a very infant stage. Um, the big elephant in the room has to do with proselytizing. A lot of Jews, a lot of Jews are deeply suspicious of Christians um, and really do believe that all Christians have some ulterior motive when it comes to the Jewish people. And at the end of the day, either want to harm us in some way, either to kill us or to convert us or that we're all going to move to Israel and then there's going to be this uh, war and this um, Armageddon and we're all going to die. And so a lot of Jews are very suspicious. And, and you know, my experience is not the case. My experience is that Christians have a very sincere love. Some Christians have a very sincere love for the Jewish people without strings attached. And if they want to talk about their faith, it's coming from a good place and they don't know how Jews respond to it. And the minute that they hear how sensitive of an issue it is because of the history, because of the centuries of Christian persecution and anti-Semitism, so the Christians realize that that they don't need to share everything with their Jewish friends, especially <laughs> if you're trying to build a relationship. So yes. that's the, that's something in, you know, where we both kind of will agree that I'm not going to try to change you, you're not going to try to change me, but we can respect each other and, and learn from each other. Uh, <clears throat> and I, I'm so glad that you said that, because a lot of Christians really don't understand the hurt or the pain uh, that someone has gone through, the Jewish people. And uh, I can see why the Jews would believe they have ulterior motives. I mean, a lot of Christians in their mind, they're trying to help you by trying to save you or something like that. Well, I, I don't believe Christians save anybody. I believe uh, Hashem is the one who's, who redeems and saves everybody. Uh, but I just enjoy that we can have these conversations because most Christians have never heard an Orthodox rabbi, uh, you know, online, on a podcast, something like this. Uh, most people, I mean, I grew up in a totally white neighborhood. I mean, there weren't any blacks. There weren't any Jews. There wasn't anything. And I never knew one. I didn't even know they really existed. You know, and then you have all these preconceived notions from things that you hear in the books that you read. For me, my greatest joy is just getting to know the Jewish people as people, their, their heart's desire, what they want, and uh, connect with them. For me, that's been the, the greatest eye-opening thing for me <clears throat> is when I go to Israel. And I know you're for people going to Israel. And uh, what do you have to offer Christians when they come to Israel? Well, last time I believe that you were in Israel, we met together at the Knesset. And we organized a, a Knesset Bible study group that we were so happy to have you join us. Um, and that's something that we've become a little famous for. Um, and a lot of Christian groups will reach out and say, hey, we'd love to also go to the Knesset and study the Bible from and with a Knesset member because of this really surprising and beautiful, um, this, uh, this, idea that you know, there's many, many Knesset members for the first time 
not for the first time, but more and more Knesset members who are religious and who take the word of God very seriously, who are both committed to the ideals of democracy, but also very, very committed to the values of the Torah. And that's really awesome. And to be able to study Bible in the Knesset with a Knesset member who's religious and who believes in the Bible is a very powerful experience. We also um, take groups on humanitarian um, volunteer experiences, uh, whether it is visiting with Holocaust survivors or serving serving food in a soup, soup pantry or soup kitchen, or planting trees is a very popular activity um, in Israel. Um, visiting with IDF soldiers, there's a lot that we love to be able to um, provide these, uh, I guess, like off the beaten path experiences that are very spiritual experiences for our uh, Christian friends. Well, that's great. I know uh, I'm leading a tour to Israel. And if anyone wants to come that's listening to this broadcast, it's the last two weeks of October. You can go to El Shaddai Ministries website, esm.us, to register. But we're going to have you come and speak to our group, I believe, the end of October while we're in Jerusalem. What a blessing to have Rabbi Tuli Wise to speak to our group. And I believe you did that another time at our hotel. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's always a highlight for me. And uh, I look forward to seeing you in Israel. And certainly anyone who's listening should definitely join you in, on that life-changing trip to the Holy Land. Yeah, we don't do the normal Christian sites. We go all through uh, Judea and Samaria. I won't use the other word. <laughs> but we love going all the way up to the Syrian-Lebanon border. Uh, this year we're going to be going to Elan Moray. Uh, Mount Gerizim, uh, Mount Ebal, and uh, Shiloh. I mean, these are the places that we want to go. And then, of course, Jerusalem. Uh, so we're really looking forward to being there. For many people, it may be their first time. But wouldn't you agree that most of the evangelical Christians that come, their life has changed once they're in Israel and actually get to experience it? I mean, how could it not? It's like, you know, the Bible comes to life and... Uh, it's like watching your favorite movie in black and white and then realizing there's a color version of it. And uh, it's just uh, transformative for Jews and for and for Christians. And um, but not for everybody. That's the that's the truth. You know, a lot of groups Israel gets Christian tourists a year and they go home and they're not affected by it. Or if anything, they, you know, you know, will be more impacted by what they read in the news and will draw the false conclusions from the media and their hearts are not open to it. I think that the listeners of this podcast are really a remnant and in the minority who recognize the miracles that the God of Israel is performing for the return of the people of Israel to the land of Israel. Anybody who who that message resonates should realize that they are in the minority. Whether you're Jewish or you're Christian, you are in the minority. And so that's that's kind of an obligation, a burden on you to uh to to share that message, to come visit Israel, to strengthen yourself, strengthen your family, and hopefully strengthen your community with a sincere love for Israel and the Jewish people. That's so true. And for me, one of the greatest things in going to the Knesset and having uh, one of the Orthodox Jewish 
uh, people, leaders, read the Tanakh, I'm so excited that we enable them to fulfill the Jewish calling and being a light to the nations. I mean, one of the greatest things that I love is we are helping uh, the Jewish people fulfill uh, the commandment, the mitzvot, or whatever you want to say, or have the blessing of fulfilling the mission to the world. And that's why I so love coming to the Knesset and giving you guys opportunity to fulfill your mission. Well, thank you. You're right. You can't be a light into the nations if the nations has their fingers in their ears. And the fact that for the first time in history, the nations are coming to Jerusalem and they're saying, like Isaiah 2, come, let us go to the mountain of Hashem and teach us his ways for from Torah shall come forth from Zion and the word of God from Jerusalem. It definitely, you're helping us fulfill our mission, but I'd like to also believe that we're helping you fulfill your mission. Exactly. The whole Bible is a partnership between the Jews and the nations, 70 nations of the world. And we have a job and you have a job. Our job is to teach the Torah and your job is to internalize the messages and to recognize Hashem because only when the Jewish people come back and only when not only the Jewish people recognize Hashem, but when the whole world recognizes Hashem, his name be complete and will then the knowledge of God spread like waters all over the land and then we will finally shift into that second stage that spiritual redemption that we spoke about earlier yes and one thing you talked about earlier with Jeremiah 16 17 where it talks about he will gather them they will say no longer the Lord who gathered them from Egypt but who gathered them from all the nations and brought them back so what would you say to any Jewish people that might be listening from around the world concerning Aliyah? How important is for them to be a part of that remnant and maybe come back to Israel? Absolutely. In every one of your communities, there's a, there's a representative from the government of Israel or an organization called Nefesh Benefesh. There's a website you can check out, Nefesh Benefesh. There's also ways for Christians who want to bless into that um, and to support the work of Aliyah. So um, now's the time. God is knocking and we have to pay attention. Amen. I see your uh, Israel Bible there. Show everyone the Israel Bible. Tell us a little bit about that Bible you have there. So this is the Israel Bible that I worked on for a few years with uh, the staff at Israel 365 came out five years ago. As you can see here, it says 70 years. So we released it and we're now on the 75th year of Israel. And it's the really the world's first Bible that's dedicated to the land of Israel and the people of Israel with a running commentary all about Israel on every page um, from a Jewish perspective, of course, with Hebrew on one side of English on the other, you can learn Hebrew. And there's the study notes on the bottom with lessons of Israel in every chapter. The passages that describe Israel have been transliterated. You could get a copy now. They're on sale at the israelbible.com. And uh, I think your readers, your viewers here will enjoy it. Well, I know they will. What's your website? Theisraelbible.com. Theisraelbible.com. Yeah, or Israel365.com. Well, thank you so much. And I really want people that are listening to support your ministry and all the work that you're doing because you truly are a bridge builder. Uh, you're a big light over there. Uh, and we just really appreciate all that you're doing. 
Thank you so much, Rabbi uh, Tudely Wise with Israel 365 for being uh, with us on the Mark Bills podcast. Uh, we're just so excited and uh, we'd like to have you back again sometime. And if you know anyone over there uh, that uh, is of the same like as you, as far as wanting to build bridges that might want to be on the podcast, you let me know. I will. Thanks for having me. You bet. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Mark Biltz Podcast, a Biltz Voice Enterprises production.